Some guys play the guitar, other guys are Prince. You know, <laughs> some guys sing, other guys are Pavarotti. I mean, this is this is not just playing baseball, and it's not just working to be a good player. Because everyone works. Someone could go out and take 500 ground balls. They're not going to be Nolan Arnauto. This is a guy that. When he sees baseball, he sees something more. He sees art almost. He sees geometry. He sees so many different sciences when he plays this game defensively. And that's what I love about him. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by a tandem of Colorado Rockies beat writers. There's Thomas Harding of MLB.com and Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post, which I think makes this a milestone podcast because it's the first time that we'll be recording a conversation between a Rocky Mountain news guy and a Denver Post guy at the Coors Field press box, right? That's true. Instead of fisticuffs, you're exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the glory days of the newspaper war here. Thank you guys very much for, for joining me. I wanted to ask you just what we talked about after game two is Nolan Arenado kind of took control of that game, leveled the series between the Cardinals and the Rockies and made one of his kind of signature catches and throws that Ali Marmol says he's the only guy in baseball that can make a catch like that down foul territory. You guys have kind of become used to that, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You're watching him, and he's wearing that Cardinal uniform, the birds on the bat, but it was like old times with the Rockies. I mean, he ends up pulling a home run into the into the left field corner there. We saw that so many times here. And also the defensive plays, you're right. It's It's to the point where... In a way, it's kind of good that he's been gone a couple of years because you could stop and gasp and understand and appreciate it the way he did it last night. Patrick, how how often did you see his defense at third base dictate games? Oh, man, great question. I don't know how often. I do know that every single game that I watched Nolan play, he did something where Thomas and I would look at each other and like, wow, or... The catchphrase on Twitter, or whatever, is always Nolan being Nolan. I mean, yes, yeah, some of those plays actually completely changed the outcome of the games. But more than that, just the privilege and the joy of watching him play third base uh, was worth the price of admission, I assume, for those who have to pay, right? But no, he's just, as we were talking about last night, he is a joy to watch play the game of baseball. Thomas, you have a play that stands out as one that you're still trying to wrap your mind around? It's actually a couple of plays. There was a play in San Francisco where he dives on the tarp. He almost breaks his face catching a foul ball. And then he sits up on the tarp, throws, and almost doubles a guy off base. I mean, it was it, it was a play of legend. I mean, you can look at it on YouTube. It's a YouTube sensation. But a few days later in Cincinnati... He goes into the stands, flips, lands pretty much on his hands, does a handstand, mm-hmm. and he's caught a foul ball. And I'm like, are we going to see this every few games? Um, it's funny, too, because the first game here against uh, against the Rockies, the 16-5 to Cardinals lost. I think he let a ball escape under his glove. Yeah, Montero hit it, of all people. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, you know, there was a throw that didn't beat a runner at first base. And we were having this discussion online that – 
if Nolan has a game like that, you are guaranteed for the next two months to see things that you haven't seen before. Patrick, is that just because he's going to go out there and work at it, or, or is it because he's driven? Or, I mean, is is this is he he kind of joked that he's a perfectionist? Is oh that a good God. way to describe it? Oh my it? God, yeah, obsessive. Okay, perfectionist, all those things. Uh, he loves the work that goes into it. Some guys do it because they know they have to. No one knows he has to, but I think he loves the work that goes into making him who he is. And you know, you were mentioned, or Thomas was mentioning that his great plays, and I don't remember the specific one, but we've all seen Nolan get the do the bare hand grab down along the mm-hmm. third baseline. The one that comes to mind, I can't remember the team. It was a high chopper, and he caught it after the first bounce, barehanded it, and in one motion threw the guy out at first. And it was almost unbelievable to me that a guy could have that much awareness and that much hand speed to be able to essentially grab the ball out of midair and in one motion basically deflect it to first base as a throw and get the guy out. It was took my breath away. How do you how do you describe the way he plays third base? I mean obviously it's confident. Um, would you call it creative? Would you would you just call it daredevil? Would you call how would you describe it? Some guys play the guitar, other guys are Prince. You know? <laughs> Some guys sing, other guys are Pavarotti. I mean, this is this is not just playing baseball and it's not just working to be a good player. Because everyone works. Someone could go out and take five hundred ground balls. They're not going to be Nolan Arnado. You can tell your kid, hey, hard work gets you there, but hard work is not going to make you Nolan Arnado. This is a guy that when he sees baseball, we, we watch baseball. He sees something more. He sees art almost. He sees geometry. He sees so many different sciences when he plays this game defensively. And that's what I love about him. Just you know that he has done something that probably he has thought about and worked on that no one else has even thought about. That's what I see when he plays it. Tell me you've written that. Have you written that, or did you just come up with that on the fly there? I came up on the fly, but I'm going to write it at some point. I mean, jeez. You've got to re-listen to this and write that down. That was excellent. You know, the word that comes to mind besides what Thomas just said is fearless. Yeah. Nolan is one of those players who's not afraid to make the big play, to go for it. Because most of the time, he's going to get it right. Um, and something you and I have discussed and Thomas and I have discussed, Jerry Weinstein, who has been with the Rockies organization on and off for years, was one of Nolan's minor league managers. He told me what I think is one of the quintessential quotes about Nolan. He said Nolan had the best internal clock and the best internal compass of any baseball player he's ever been around. Meaning Nolan always knows where he is on the field, how much time he has to make the play, and combine that with his athleticism and his instincts, and that's why he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think that with him... It's not just that he's not afraid to make the big play. He's not afraid to make a mistake. I mean, I, I, we were talking. I think there was a game, a really unusual game in Arizona where he committed three errors. And he talked about it after the game like, yeah, it's no big deal. Then he, th- then he just turns it up and he, and he goes out and wins gold gloves. That's what I like about him. I mean, it goes back to um, I was covering it was when the Cardinals beat the Brewers in the playoffs a few years ago. I can't. The NLCS 2011. There we go. There we go. And um, was it Jerry Harrison Jr. made a couple of errors in the key game there. And what he what he told me after the game was, yeah, I made the errors, but but I remember what Cal Ripken once said. 
I just want the opportunity to make the next error. That means they keep trusting me to go out there. No one can strike out. No one can take a bad swing. I saw his first at bat last night where it looked like Kyle Freeland was getting inside on him, forcing him to foul some balls off. And he could have won that at bat, but no. Nolan's like, okay, I know what you're trying to do, but I'm going to be better at you, better than you at it. And he hits the double down the line, and it starts a really good night. Last night, after the Cardinals win, um, while we're recording this before the third game, just to give everybody who's listening kind of a time stamp on it, I talked to Nolan, and he talked about playing with Albert Pujols. They went back-to-back home runs. They hit beside each other. A year ago, when Albert was released by the Angels, uh, Nolan was on a Zoom call, and he, he was actually talking to us about the, playing the Rockies for the first time and what that meant to him. And he came back to the Zoom and said, I want to add something else, and basically gave this ode to Albert Pujols, talked about how much he loves him, how much he's his favorite player, and he said he deserves the right to kind of go out on his own. Now, Nolan told me he never imagined that he would be a part of that or share a lineup with him, but he wanted that opportunity. It's a long way of saying that I was really struck by thinking about how Nolan has inherited a Cardinals expectation that Albert Pujols helped set. And though Nolan became a Cardinal nine years after Albert left, those expectations are still there, like what it takes to win, what it takes to work, all these things that Albert brought, Yadier brought, and that generation before him brought. What did Nolan leave behind here? in Colorado as far as like a legacy. I mean, because I could see the way Josh, his cousin Josh Fuente, played third. I can see how McMahon plays third. I can see some discussion about Colorado defense here. But what did Nolan leave behind here as far as expectations? I think the legacy of the work ethic more than anything else, and that was passed on to him from Troy Tulowitzki, Mm. right, who learned it from... Well, Matt Holliday, who learned it from Todd Helton. I think of anything, it was probably the uh, dedication to his craft and the work ethic. And as you know, Nolan is not a... Sometimes he's a little bit of an island unto himself because he does tend to be, you know, all about getting Nolan prepared for the game. And he's certainly not one of the guys who rallies the troops in the clubhouse. That's just not who he is. Yeah, he's not that guy. He's just not. So I think... I don't know, Thomas may disagree with me, but I think the legacy of the work ethic and uh, never accepting anything less than your very best, as trite as that may sound, to me that is probably what he left, at least with his teammates. Now with the fans, of course, they're going to remember the milestones and the walk-off. You the know, Father's Day cycle. Exactly, those sort of things and all the plays we've already talked about. But I think in that clubhouse... It's probably the work ethic and the grinding mentality that he brought to this team. Thomas, you agree? You know, I, I, I do think he left that, but I'm going back to what you said, where he talked about his admiration for Albert Pujols. Takes me back to a conversation I had with Troy Tulowitzki a number of years ago. There are players that know that they are cut above others. It's not... It's not a demeaning thing, but they know they're cut above, and they want to be like those players. For example, Nolan can be like an Albert Pujols in his own way. Not very many players can. That's why he latched onto him. Remember Troy Tulowitzki? He spent a lot of time, you know, admiring Derek Jeter and talking to other players, and he said, actually, there are times when you're at a certain level, and there are only pe- there are very few peers 
that you can even talk to about it or imitate about it. I don't know how much he talks to Albert Pujols, but it doesn't matter because he's around Albert Pujols and he copied his batting mm-hmm. practice swing. I mean, it's stuff like that. Like, wow, it, most players, even the good players, are like, I admire Albert Pujols. Nolan Arnato is, I admire Albert Pujols, and maybe I can adopt some of what he's done so well. You guys recall, and maybe I'm putting this the wrong way, but you recall how, like what you described there, Thomas, about where it went from trying to be like a Cardinal to when Nolan kind of thought about being a Cardinal? Because it certainly seemed like that trade was several years, at least in the making, and you guys were around him. Um, I remember talking a few years before the Cardinals made a play for him as a free agent um, with David Price. And, you know, he was under contract with other teams, but, you know, he knew that there was a potential for trade. He knew that there was free agency out. And he was very careful in talking in generalities. But, man, his generality sure did describe the Cardinals, you know, right down to saying, you know, I'd really like to play in an, you know, an area code that begins kind of like <laughs> yeah. three, maybe has a four in it. I mean, it was like, it, you know, he was in general, but you could see that. Do you, do you know, do you, was there a time where it became clear, like, not just be like a Cardinal or a great player, but but be a Cardinal be on a different team? I think one of his first trips to St. Louis, when he made an incredible play, and I remember we were talking to him, and I mean, you know, I remember Nolan when he walked in here as a high school kid. He took batting practice on the field. Really? Yeah. Yes, he took batting practice. Was his, he a catcher then? Or that was the talk, right? That was the talk. But no, he takes batting practice. He's in the clubhouse, and his dad's like, oh, are you going to take a shower? He goes, you mean I can take a shower here? I mean, he was so <laughs> excited about being among pro baseballs like this was his dream. When, when that day happened, I remember him talking to us. You can see his eyes light up like... They cheered for me when I made that play. It was against those guys. I mean, to me, that I will bet you that stayed in the back of his batting helmet for years. I would venture to guess, and Thomas and I both had a lot of conversations off the record with Nolan mm-hmm. during all the turmoil here in Colorado. Sure. The Cardinals were certainly way up there because he, he understands baseball pr- tradition. He knew what a classy organization it was. He knew the fan base, as Thomas mentioned. He knew the expectations to winning. But I wouldn't say it was just the Cardinals. No, yeah, the Dodgers uh, the had the Dodgers be for yeah. sure because he's a Southern California kid. Uh, he likes Dodger Stadium. Uh, he likes the bar that they set. I think the bottom line is uh, geography, et cetera, was important to Nolan. SoCal would have been cool. Uh, he wanted to be. He wants a chance to win a World Series above and beyond almost anything else. And truthfully. He didn't think he was going to get it here, and that's why he wanted out. Let's let's bottom line it. He keeps bringing up the fact that he's never been on a division winner. Uh, I know that this organization has never had a division winner. Is that something that is brought up a lot around here, that they just don't have a division title, flag, anything to put at this ballpark? Well, it's weird because they went to the World Series as a yeah. one. Right? Yeah. Um, when you look at this division, the, the Dodgers – and the Giants are giants of this division when it comes to resources, when it comes to um, money, the ability to get free agents. It's almost like the rest of the division is trying to get a wild card. I mean, even the San Diego Padres, they did all this trading to get a wild card. So the way this division is set up, a lot of times you just want to get in. And Nolan wanted to be a division champion. So, you know, if you're here... You want to get in and you want to upset people and win the World Series. But if you ha- if you leave and suddenly you think, oh, wow, I could be a division champion, 
then that really becomes important to you because you've never had it here. You know, it's interesting you brought that up, and you and I were in the dugout the other day when Nolan was meeting the media, yeah. and I know he said that, I think, at least three times. Three times, and it's the it's every other day over the last week yeah. and a half. And I, I mean, I'm not, and he won't, like, even when I asked him about the trade deadline, he goes, he goes, you know, it's good to add because it reinforces what the team you have and you think you have potential, and it's good to add the pieces you need at the trade deadline because you want to win a division title. It's so fascinating because, like, um, when Carlos Beltran came to the Cardinals, he wanted to get to the World Series. He'd never been past a CS, and it, like it was something that preoccupied him. I talked to his wife, and he, you know, she was saying that the night before he had a chance to win a pennant, he was up practicing his swing. He just could not, and she found him like even like gripping the bat as he was trying to sleep, um, just because he knew the potential was there for something he'd never achieved in his career. Being around the Cardinals, they talk about winning the pennant, they talk about um, winning the division, they talk about winning a World Series. Ultimately, they talk about being defined. The manager says we're defined by whether we win a World Series or not. There are one, there's one winner, 29 losers. That's how I look at things. And then Nolan comes in, and over the past few weeks, it's been I got to win the NL Central, and I'm like, wait, what? Like I'm trying to compute that, and it, it it really means a lot to him. Yeah, it does. And here, as you know, this is the Rockies' 30th year. They've never done it. Mm-hmm. They're certainly not going to do it now. Um, I think the media will mention. No pennants or no division titles. Mm-hmm. A lot more than uh, certainly the front office or any of those guys do. And maybe it's because they realize where the Dodgers are right now. It's such a powerhouse organization. Uh, but it's interesting. I don't remember Nolan ever mentioning that very much to me when he was here. Well, actually, I'm going to tell you, I thought the beginning of the end was in 2018 when they played the Dodgers in a showdown game to win the NL West. 163. 163. Then they go, they beat the Cubs in the wild card game, but flying out there, bouncing all around the country, they were dead in the playoffs. And I remember being in the clubhouse afterward, and I think part of it was it looked like they were going to let DJ LeMahieu go. Mm, free but, agent, right? Yeah. yeah, but it was almost like they felt like their chance got away and the disappointment was so incredible at that time i'm going to tell you what you, what you're probably going to get they win the division and nolan starts talking about the world series because he's <laughs> he's a step by step kind of guy i mean a lot of times his interviews go to i'm just trying to hit the ball hard and it's not like he's trying to end the interview it's i'm trying to hit the ball hard tomorrow when i show up right. so win that division and what and listen to what he says next were there Rockies who talked like he did about wanting more from the organization? Have there been was Helton like? Have there been guys like that through the years who have said, "Look, we we need more from this organization. We need more in this clubhouse to compete with the likes of the Dodgers." There have been. Um, I don't know if any of them were quite as publicly vocal mm-hmm. as Nolan was during that time. Uh, you know a number of guys off the record and even guys on the team now that I'm not going to mention have told me and I'm sure have told Thomas the same thing Nolan stood out uh, because Nolan as you know sometimes he's a really good quote but sometimes he's very close to the vest kind of guy he'll say what you expect him to say but when he wants to be heard he gets himself heard and when he didn't like the direction of this franchise, he was very public and very vocal about it. Uh, I'm trying to remember, Thomas, if anybody else in recent memory was quite as vocal about the direction of this franchise. Well, I think um, 
There was that time in the early 2000s when Mike Hampton and Danny Nago came in. Yeah. Hampton was very, hey, gee, they need to get, they're, they're letting too many guy, good guys go. Granted, he did not pitch well here, but they're letting too many guys go here. I think this organization, a couple of things. First, they tend to skew kind of young, so a lot of guys really don't feel like they have that, um, that, that clout to say it. And they tend to be a little bit quiet, where they may be saying it behind the scenes or to us, mm. but not publicly. I mean, Todd Helton, um, nobody wanted to win more than Todd Helton. Nobody wants to win more than Charlie Blackman. But they may not say anything publicly. And I think the, the last thing on that is the general manager here at the time, Jeff Breidich, <clears throat> really didn't have good relationships. And I think that... I, I personally am stunned by that. I just... <laughs> I just I'm I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah, I'm amazed by it. Please note the sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. But I mean I'm no brain surgeon, but <laughs> but people I've brought this up on the podcast before. They'll they'll get anyway. Yes. Fine. But um, also in a situation like that, you would like for maybe the pl- the player isn't the general manager. He doesn't make those decisions. He doesn't handle the budget. But you would have liked for them to have been on the same page. And I think personality-wise, they never were. So Nolan didn't feel too bad about speaking out at that point when things weren't being done. Um, I, I don't think he's ever really ripped on the owner or anything like that. He likes him. But that I, I think that hurt, um, or at least it helped Nolan get out of here. They need, though... To make some moves, to make a difference, or figure out a way to figure out this park. And sometimes you get tired of it. I think part of it is no one got tired of, gee, can we hit on the road? Gee, do our guys ever get credit? This, that, and the other thing. And he brought that up. Yeah. You go to St. Louis, and none of that matters. They're wanting to win the World Series. He's wanting the first. Let me win a division first. But he's going to be wanting to win a World Series. So this is my way of asking if maybe that's the legacy he leaves behind is he brought it up, made it headlines, that maybe the fans or players should expect more from this organization. And I wonder if maybe you'll start hearing that a little bit more often and that you know that Nolan's, Nolan's comments will echo in quotes ahead, especially as the years start to roll by here. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think... I think you're going to get a split decision on that because there is a contingent here in Colorado of some hardcore Rockies fans who think that, I'll just say it bluntly, that Nolan acted like a spoiled brat. They thought, hey, he signed this big contract, he committed to the team, and a very short time later he wanted out. So there is that contingent, and you could hear it last night. There were a few boos in the stands sure. last night for Nolan because there are people who think that way. But to your point, Derek, um, will it will his words and his shaking up this franchise have a long-term effect? I don't think so, not right now, because the Rockies have still stayed in-house with how they do things in terms of hiring. and uh, It's still a very, in my opinion, a very insular organization, and they do things the way they see them. They kind of do things the way they've always done them, higher from within. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, even though the Nolan Arenado trade was, was an earthquake around here and it still reverberates, I don't think it changed the course of the franchise that much. That's my opinion, Thomas. Yeah, I think that I don't think it changed the course. I agree with you on how they operate and all. It did change one thing, though. It got to the point to where the way things were going under Jeff Breidich was unbearable. 
and they ended up making that change. I think that they still think that they that doing things their way because they're in their unique environment, they still think that that's going to get them there. They do have to change some things. It looks like they're addressing some things um, as far as analytics and a few things in the front office right now. But does it mean that players will come out and you know blast the organization or whatever? Probably not because it just doesn't it, it seems like there's a personality type that's mm-hmm. here that tends to um, just kind of put the nose to the grindstone. That may need to change some. They may, they may need some people that color outside the lines. Some boat rockers. Thomas made a really good point that I missed. Uh, the Nolan thing with Jeff Breidich and the personalities and the conflict, not just with the players but within the front office itself, mm-hmm. Nolan was the tipping point. I mean, that was the flashpoint. Maybe there, yeah. Yeah, so I think Thomas makes an excellent point that, okay, maybe the organization's basic philosophy hasn't changed that much because of Nolan, but certainly the demise of Jeff Breidich as the the front office boss is directly tied to Nolan. Yeah, you look at it, they've brought back some of the old players. Todd Helton's working in the minor league system. Clint Hurdle, who's here this weekend, yeah. he, he is working in the minor league system. They're trying to reach out to people that believe in the organization right now. And, you know, will that work? It probably has a better chance to work than other things because of people who have won here and, and experienced some good things and know the unique challenges. So, yes, I, I do think that when you look back years, and, and if the Rockies are um, successful at some point, whether they want to or not, they've got to look at this Nolan Arenado chapter saying, you know, you pushed us forward even though you had to leave. It's a rare team that can contend by constantly shedding stars. I mean, I don't know of one, and that's something there. So the question, last thing I want to ask you guys, the question then that is prominent or will be prominent in St. Louis is whether he will opt out at the end of this season. It's his last opt out. If he chooses to, he becomes a free agent. If not, then he's a Cardinal, likely till the end of his career. Um, It's one that was put in there to make the deal possible because the union put a dollar figure on that opt out to make all the cash work and to keep the present day value of the contract. But it's there. It's there for him after two years with the Cardinals that he can leave. You guys know him well. You guys covered him well. You Thomas mentioned you saw him as a high school. Do you have a sense as to what you expect his decision to be or at least some of the things that he'll take into account as he makes that decision? Because we've described him as a guy who's chasing championships. Do you think that chase will lead him home or that chase will stay in St. Louis? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'll really tell you, is. I'm pausing here for a minute. Earlier this season, when the Cardinals were struggling pitching-wise, that was one of my thoughts is like, does he look around and say, man, this is Colorado all over again. We can't we can't seem to cover the innings here. Um, other people can get pitching. But it looks like things have settled to the point to where I think there's a good chance that he stays in. Um, I don't know what third base opportunities will be available in the offseason. Um, obviously, uh, I don't know Justin Turner's situation in L.A. I don't know. He's a free agent. Okay. Then then that's a factor the Cardinals are going to have to deal with because, you know, Southern California is home to him. You know, that's a really tough question. I would think, Derek, he's going to stay. And even though Nolan left here and even though he's so obsessive about baseball, he cares about his legacy a lot. And I don't think he wants to be looked upon as a guy who was essentially a carpetbagger, to be blunt. Uh, I think if the Rockies had made the moves that Nolan hoped they had made, 
I think he would have been fine staying in Colorado. He loved it here. He loved his teammates. But when he didn't think the franchise was heading in the right direction, and it was clear to him it wasn't, he wanted out. I think if he feels like the Cardinals, as they always have been, are committed to winning and has a chance, I think he will stay there because you retire in a Cardinals uniform and most likely go to the Hall of Fame in a Cardinals uniform, I think something like that means a lot to him. So I would bet he does not opt out. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys very much. That's Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post, Thomas Harding of MLB.com, two guys who've covered a lot of baseball here, who've seen a lot of high-scoring games at Coors Field. Long have, games. <laughs> long games, And yeah. we've lived to tell about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. That was a conversation at Coors Field this past week with Thomas Harding, MLB.com's Rockies beat writer, and Patrick Saunders, baseball writer at the Denver Post. You can follow Harding at Harding underscore at underscore MLB. And Saunders is also on Twitter at P Saunders DP. Harding's works, of course, is available at MLB.com where you can read his work at on the Rockies or you can subscribe to his newsletter. And you can read Saunders at Denver's remaining daily newspaper, DenverPost.com. All the constant Cardinals coverage at the Post-Dispatch can be found at stltoday.com, and you can find complete minor league coverage, including the history made this past week by one Cardinals AA infielder channel Redmond at STL Pinch Hits, the app and the website. The best podcast in baseball, brought to you weekly by Closet by Design of St. Louis, is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you rate and review BPIB on iTunes, we will know how to make it better as it goes from the first decade to the next decade. Stay tuned for next week's special episode of BPIB. Stay informed, stay healthy, talk to you soon.